Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup podcast. I'm Chad Young. Pete Ball is here as well. And uh, it's it's been a little while. We've been, you heard us two weeks ago because we posted a new episode, but we had recorded that like, I don't know, a few weeks before that. There were some some changeover things going on at the Pitcherless Podcast Network as we were moving to some new technologies, new platforms, and now we are back up and running for the off season. The off season's chugging right along. Like the last time we talked, I don't even we didn't even know who was going to be in the World Series. Now we know who the champs are. There was nothing that really happened. Arbitration hadn't started yet, and we were like, "Oh, we'll talk about our new arbitration in our next episode because we'll have plenty of time." And instead, we're recording on Sunday the twelfth. This is coming out on Monday the thirteenth. Arbitration ends midnight Eastern time, Tuesday the 14th. So yeah, we will talk arbitration, but we didn't have quite the plenty of time we thought we would. But that's okay. We're excited to be back and we will be with you every other Monday through the off season. We get closer to the season, we'll know what our season schedule looks like. But we are ready to get going with episode 119, which means we're going to look at guys who wore jersey number 19 and... This one, this one's got a, a special place for me. I was just telling Pete as we recorded. I have bought myself two jerseys, two baseball jerseys over my, my lifetime. One of them is a Larry Doby throwback to the, I think to the fifty to the fifty four season, something like that. Um, I can't remember actually which year it was, but it's a Larry Doby jersey that I've I've talked about before on the show because I've talked about Doby and and how sort of undervalued I think he is in baseball history. The other jersey I own is a number 19. It is a Bob Feller throwback, another uh, Cleveland Hall of Famer and retired number. And Pete, I know there are other number 19s on here. There are 19s who have more career war than Feller does. I am going to argue that with the loss of the 42, 43, and 44 seasons when Feller was basically in his prime, he would be unquestionably the best number 19 in baseball history. If he had played those years, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I won't fight you with that. He was very good on MLB The Show. That's about the extent <laughs> of my Bob Feller knowledge. So, um, you know, I mean, they're, Tony Gwynn's pretty good. Robin Yount's pretty good. Did you, did you say pitcher or player ever? I said player. I said player. Okay. A pitcher, I think he already actually is the best. Yeah, I was going to say, like, there's, there's not, not really anyone in this. Yeah. <laughs> Unless but Bert player. Camp, I don't know who that is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I will totally respect the argument. I, I don't have a hot take on this one. So, Yeah, I mean, the guys ahead of him, in terms of players who, who wore that number regularly, there's some, like, Fergie Jenkins wore it for one year with the Rangers in 1974. Like, that doesn't count. Among the guys who wore it regularly, there are... So just using baseball reference war, because they're the ones who have this fun jersey number thing that we use. Feller's at 63.5. Ahead of him... Joey Votto at 64.4, Tony Gwynn at 69.2. I am pretty comfortable saying that he would have gotten the six or seven war he needed to surpass those guys if he hadn't lost three prime seasons. The harder argument is probably Robin Yount. Yount at 77.4. That's basically 14 R war that he would have needed. That's doable. Uh, it's doable. In three years, that's, you know, if, if I go look at... If I go look at Feller's, I just lost this for a second. I'm going to look at Feller's career real quick. And Feller put up, here's his, here's his reference war in the three seasons before 
and the three seasons after his missed time. 9.2, 9.9, 8.2. His first year back, he puts up a two, but only throws 72 innings, only makes nine starts. Um, by the way, 72 innings, nine starts is eight innings per start, which is, uh, it was a different era in 1945. Then he put up 10 and 4.9. So basically when he pitched a full season over that time, he was, he was putting up like eight to 10. So he, he could have very easily pushed himself from the sixties to like the nineties, let alone getting to 77 and passing out. So that's my argument. This is the Bob Feller episode, in my opinion, because he is the best ever to wear the number. So there you go. I'm with it. You're good with that? All right. Yeah. Totally. So what we're going to talk about today, uh, besides Bob Feller, I always go on these like, like anytime there's a, a top Cleveland player shows up on these things, I'm like, <laughs> we're going to spend 20 minutes talking about this guy, even though he's totally irrelevant to baseball today. We're not going to do that. It's only been a few minutes. We're going to jump to our real topic which is we're going to look at arbitration. Auto new arbitration is ongoing. It's getting close to the end. If you haven't done it yet, if you're listening and you have not done your arbitration yet, go do it. Listen to the episode first because maybe we'll give you some good tips and tricks and things to think about. But then go do your arbitration, get it done. Pete, we're going to have to crack some skulls in some of our leagues and get people going because there's there's some some people who haven't finished up yet, including, including me, by the way. I, I've been behind, so I got to finish up. But uh, I'll get that done. I'll try to get that done before this airs, since we're going to look at this now anyways. But I thought what we would do is you and I are in three leagues together. There is the Fangraph Staff League. There is the Keeper Cut Listener League. And there is the Podcasters League that DVR put together. And I thought we'd go through those and look at who the sort of the top ARB receivers are in each of those leagues. And have a little conversation about where we think some people may be putting arbitration in, in the wrong places, making smart decisions, things we would do differently. And I think we should start with the Podcasters League because that's the one I have opened. So that's my, my very deep reasoning for why we should start with that. So Pete, as you're pulling that one up, and I'm just looking right now at the, the main arbitration page, there's a current arbitration table. Uh, the first table you see on that page is the overview that shows you what teams have given money and where they've given it or how much they've given and how much has been given to them. And then below that is the current arbitration that lists every player who's received at least $1 and how much they've been, how much they've received, how much they've gotten from you and what their current salary and then projected salary post arbitration would be. Let's, Let's start with that table. Are there any any names on there that sort of jump out to you as like, wow, I'm sort of surprised to see this guy near the top of the list? Uh, so two two definitely jump off. One is Cole Reagans, who like I'm, I'm excited about. I'm in. I'm, I'm considering keeping him over some pretty good names in another league. I'm in. Uh, and we all, if you had him down the stretch, we all know you know how much good he did for your team. But it wasn't all smooth sailing, and and he had some. He had some hiccups, particularly when it comes to his control. Uh, he had a brutal, I, I think, I want to say it was at Toronto because I, I was watching it and it, he had like three wild pitches in a row, like two runs came in and it was like, oh man, this guy is the yips, like something bad is happening here. So just to see him get absolutely hammered here, uh, he is the fifth highest total. Well, he's tied with th two other players for having $6 put on him, which would be the second most 
dollar amount um, behind only Corbin Carroll, Corey Seager, Ellie De La Cruz, and Matt Olson, who all kind of make sense to me. I think part of this has to do with like everybody has to put at least one dollar on a team, and if Cole Reagans is really the only one, and as I'm scrolling here for in the deep, I guess Mookie Betts got got a few dollars there, but it, it looks like maybe Cole Reagans was like the obvious person to put dollars on. But to see him go from you know, uh, his current salary is $5 all the way to 11. Like that's a, that's a lot. His salary more than doubled and it was not a huge track record of success for Colt Reagans. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking at this and I think sort of coming out the same place you are, which is like, I actually, I actually put a dollar as of now on Reagan. So did I debating yeah. moving it. You did too. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I may end up moving it to bets. Bets at $47 has been hit with $4. He is up to $51 on that roster now. I think you can make a case that bets could be pushed higher. But I think it's important, especially for for those of our listeners who play in in auto new points leagues. Roto leagues, this is a five by five league. We probably should have clarified that. But Roto leagues in general are the salaries don't go quite as high. You have a little bit of a shallower value curve. And what I mean by a shallower value curve is if you graft the, the least valuable player to the most valuable player, the slope is not as steep in Roto as it is in points leagues. And, and the reason for that is basically that there's a lot of different ways a Roto player can accrue value, right? Like you can be a you could get saves or you can get wins as a starting pitcher. You could have great whip and not walk anybody, or you could have a ton of strikeouts despite some walks. And for hitters, you could be a speed demon who scores a bunch of runs with a high average and steals a bunch of bases, or you could be a power hitter who, you know, sells out for power, hits 200, but is going to have 40 home runs and 110 RBI, right? Like there's a lot of different paths, which means there's a lot more players who are valuable and it, it, there's a lot more sort of nuance between players, right? Like, if I have two guys who have one guy is a, steals 40 bases, one guy hits 40 home runs and they have different values in the other cat. Like it's a lot harder to parse between those two. Who's more valuable and it may vary by team, right? One of those guys might be more valuable to my team because I need steals and less valuable to another team. Whereas in points, you eventually just sort of say, okay, I've added up the points. The guy with 40 home runs scores more points. He is better. Uh, and so that doesn't happen in, in Roto, which means that those top salaries just don't creep quite as high. And so bets, I mean, there aren't a lot of better options out there than, than Mookie Bets. I mean, if you if you go back to you and I participated, and we talked about this in our last episode, we participated in that um, pitcher list staff mock draft. Bets was the second pick off the board. Right in that, and that was a five by five, same format. It's like, got it. He is super valuable. Uh, he he qualifies at shortstop and second and outfield. I, I'm I'm talking myself, I think, into believing that he is worth more than fifty one dollars and should get another dollar put on him. But it's not that clear cut. It's not an easy choice, and so I understand why people went after Reagan's because like. He's one of the few guys. I mean, you look look down this roster. Zach Wheeler at twenty eight dollars has already been pushed up to thirty. I'm not sure I want to push him a ton further than that. Um, Chaz McCormick got a dollar. I know how you feel about Chaz McCormick. You're a fan that, that might have been four dollars. Uh, that might have been me. Yeah, I, I have no issue with McCormick getting a dollar. Like fine. 
Orion Kirkering got two dollars. That's uh, that's not one I really understand. <laughs> Who the hell is that? <laughs> so Kirkering is you know, he was the guy. He came up for the Phillies. He's like this great story as a reliever. Um, he's he's fun, okay. but uh, it's five by five, and he's not a closer. And I don't think right. he doesn't have to be a closer. And I just I don't get that. Two dollars um, too, not just one too. No, I know. So I'm just looking, like I'm looking at the rest of this in the deep team, and it's like, you know, they do have they have a seven dollar Estee Ruiz, and so maybe I could see moving a dollar there just because he's a weird player, but especially in Auto New where you have deep rosters and you could afford to just keep him on your bench when you if you don't need steals and use him when you do. Okay, I could see that they have a five dollar Sunny Gray. He probably should be getting. That's probably actually where it is. It's like there's probably some balance between the five dollar Reagans and the five dollar Sunny Gray that that can be addressed. Well, it's interesting you brought up Chaz McCormick. Um, I was listening to this, not the sleeper in the bus. I was listening to Rates and Barrels yesterday. I don't know if it's an older episode or not. Sometimes I'll just throw them on. And uh, they're talking about Chaz McCormick. And apparently, through the first several drafts on the NFBC, he had a top 200 ADP with a low of like 130 or something like that. And the consensus seemed to be that 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 um, report that Chandler Rome was a beat writer for the Astros ad was that there was a little bit of an issue between Chaz McCormick and Dusty Baker. And that now that Dusty Baker has retired, um, that, you know, maybe Chaz McCormick is going to see a lot more playtime here. And Eno is projecting him for over 600 plate appearances, in which case I think he should have more than a dollar considering those other options. But between Reagan's and McCormick, if I was just going to put $1 on this team, I, I would also put it on Reagan's. So, yeah, I think and th- this is where the, the challenge becomes like, you know, it's not just do I want to put on Reagan's or McCormick. It's not even just do I want to put in a $5 Reagan's or a $3 McCormick because right now, like if I go in there and you can go back in there, even if you've already done arbitration, you can edit it. So if you go back in and you look at your arbitration right now, like I can see right now, Reagan's has got $6 put on him, which pushes him to $11. One of those dollars is from me. McCormick has $1 put on him, pushing him to 4 so my decision is not, do I want to ar- put arbitration on a $5 Reagan's or a $3 McCormick? My question is, do I want to be the $11 on Reagan's or the $5 on McCormick? And that becomes a little bit of a, uh, you know, I agree with you. If, if it's like, oh, do I push Reagan's to $6 or McCormick to 4 Push Reagan's to 6 That's an easy choice. But we're getting closer to a point where maybe I want to move one of those dollars off, Um what I'll probably do is, well, first of all, remind the few teams in this league that haven't finished arbitration to do it, to see where those numbers end up. And then I, I'll probably move my dollar off Reagan's. I just haven't figured out whether it'll be McCormick, Sonny Gray, someone else. But So yeah, that was also one of the names that jumped out at me. The other name that, that sort of jumps out at me off the top of this list, and he, he's right above Reagan's, at least for me, is CJ Abrams got hit with $6.00. He was already at $7. This pushes him to $13. And maybe the, I, I can't tell if this is like, is this a, a Chad thing or what? But like, because <laughs> Abrams to me feels like a guy who's still showing flashes rather than having done the thing. And, but then I go into to Justin Vibber's surplus calculator and Justin put out the first version of the 2024 surplus calculator last week. Um, it has his values for next season or his his sort of the rough values that he puts in there. And he's got a five by five CJ Abrams is worth twenty four dollars. 
So I was sort of surprised to see Abrams push that high, but maybe that's maybe that's my problem. <laughs> yeah, I think so much of it is obviously it's five by five and it's it's the stolen bases, right? I mean, like we were CJ Abrams was so young when he when he broke in. Um, and he just wasn't running, and that really hurt because he also really wasn't hitting. Um, so he became a, a player to really look down on. But uh, something happened in that second half. So in the first half, 16 stolen base attempts, he had 14 steals. In the second half, in 11 less games, 33 steals in 35 attempts. Um, so he, I mean, he paced that out over the full season. Obviously, we're talking about a guy who's up there with Asturi Ruiz and, and Ronald Acuna when it comes to stolen bases. But unlike Ruiz, Abrams has a lot of upside with the bat as well. Still so young. So I, I get it. Um, but that is, I mean, that sucks for that manager. Cause I, I'm a CJ Abrams fan. I'm, I'm not cutting him, but now I went from thinking like, Oh, I got this great deal stolen bases. I'm good. And and now you probably just have like an appropriately priced CJ Abrams. Yeah. And I'm looking, I mean, I, to be, to be fair to Abrams, I, I think I probably was sh- sort of short selling him. I mean, the 245 average isn't great, but it, it's not hurting you. And 47 steals, 18 home runs, 83 runs scored, only 64 RBIs, because I think he was pretty heavily a leadoff hitter for the Nats. Um, but also the Nats, yeah, he he got about half his plate appearances leading off, and most of the other half were hitting eighth or ninth. So just not a lot of RBI opportunities for him, which makes sense. But that is an offense that, I mean, you know, we'll see what they do in the off season. What I will say is, I don't think that offense is going to get a lot worse. It was sort of the you know by WOBA they were the twentieth best offense in baseball last year, and they're like they're not really losing any key players that I can think of. I, I'm trying to like pull up their leaders from last year. I guess Candelario is already gone. They, they traded him. I mean, their WOBA leaders last year were Candelario, Riley Adams, Stone Garrett, Victor Robles, Lane Thomas, Joey Manessis, Kiebert Ruiz, Dominic Smith, and then CJ Abrams. I, I just don't see how that lineup, you know, Again, they will miss Candelario, but I don't see that lineup getting significantly worse, and there's an opportunity for it to get significantly better. So, yeah, I'm probably underselling. I'm probably underselling him, which is one of the one of the, my favorite things about arbitration is going in and being like, "Why did this guy get dollars?" And then be like, "Oh, that's why." Or alternatively, every once in a while, I'll be like, "Why did nobody put a dollar on this guy?" And then you're going, "Oh, okay, that's why nobody put a dollar on that guy." Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, See, Abrams, the, I mean, uh, real quick on him, because you mentioned the low batting average, and I thought that's kind of weird because he's a guy who hits a lot of ground balls. He wasn't last year. He he cut down on his ground ball rate significantly, and obviously there, there are pros and cons. Hence the 18 home runs, right? I mean. Exactly, exactly. But even, even with 18 homers and 50 steals or close to 50 steals, that came with a BABIP that, like, I don't know. I feel like it's 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 low for CJ Abrams. It's tough to evaluate because this is a shift in his game that he's hitting more balls in the air. So naturally, the BABIP is lower. But this was a player who, during his peak season with the Padres, right before he was traded, that was a three forty three BABIP in. That was only one hundred fifty one plate appearance. But throughout throughout the minor leagues, he was a guy who had a really high BABIP. So um, I don't know if that goes up a little bit. All of a sudden, we're talking twenty fifty with a two seventy average. That's, that's a second round player. So um, 
Yeah, the more we talk about him, the more I like him. Yeah. The other guy sort of near the top of this list I think is worth at least chatting about for a moment. Ellie Dela Cruz, $7 salary or $8 salary going into arbitration has been hit with $7 so far, pushing him up to $15. Now, that team, the Fantasy Beat, has a lot of, of pretty interesting cheap talent on it. They've got a $4 Nolan Jones, a $3 Jorge Soler, a $5 Justin Steele, a $3 Zach Geloff, then the $8 Cruz, um, $9 Brandon Nimmo, a $5 Shane Boz. Uh, let's see a six dollar Itzak Paredes. They, they've got a, they've got a handful of guys. I mean, at the top of that list is where it's most interesting. Ellie Dela Cruz, though, being the the clear front runner for that team in terms of arb received, you know, the obvious good stuff here is is obvious, right? Less than hundred games played, played ninety eight games, four hundred twenty seven played appearances, thirty five stolen bases, and thirteen home runs, like. You know, you're talking about a guy who's looking at like a 60-20 pace over a full season or something silly. Um, and he scored 67 runs and drove in 44 RBIs. So you're you're looking at like, uh, you know, we were just talking about C.J. Abrams. Those are very similar numbers when you, when you prorate them over the season, maybe even a little better than what Abrams did. He certainly has huge upside. Lower average, 235 average. But he does have that 33.7% strikeout rate. Things didn't go great as the season went on for him after that like super hot start. Are you surprised that people are so quick to jump on Ellie or is this just like this dude's got like elite, elite upside and you've got to hit him while you can? Yeah, I'm not surprised really for two reasons, because I feel like no matter how hard Ellie De La Cruz got hit in arbitration, reason number one, like you're still keeping him, right? Like they, if you got $15 put on him, you're not sending Ellie De La Cruz back to the auction, right? You're holding on to him for at least another season. Or at least I'm not. I'll speak for myself. Like Ellie De La Cruz could have absolutely hammered in arbitration, which he kind of did here, but it could have been worse. And I would still be holding on to him almost no matter what. And this, the second reason is related. It's it's the upside thing that you just said. Like, we got to give this guy more time. Um, it's easy to jump on the strikeout rate. And, and he certainly struggled with the strikeout rate in the minor leagues. It's not like this is out of the normal. But the walk rate, you know, in 2023 at AAA, it doubled basically compared to where it had been. And that did carry over into the major leagues a little bit where he was walking an 8.2% clip, which doesn't matter as much. In five by five, it does mean he'll be on to steal more bases. But if he's seeing the ball a little bit better at the plate in some ways, I'm going to take that as a positive step. So I totally understand putting money on Ellie de la Cruz. And I want to say I definitely was one of the people that did put money. Yes, I am two of those $7. So um, there were a lot of options. It is an impressive roster. But at the end of the day, I just thought, you know what? Ellie's going to be kept no matter what. I want my dollars to stick. So Ellie de la Cruz it is. Yeah, I, so an, another interesting note on on Dela Cruz is uh, Scott Chu, our our fellow pitcherless podcast network podcaster, did a first pitch Arizona presentation um, a couple weeks ago, November third. But he tweeted out about that presentation a couple of charts on Ellie Dela Cruz using the the PLV data from PitcherList, and he looked at two different numbers. You put, at least he put out two different charts. One was Ellie Dela Cruz's swing aggression. Right? So how aggressive is he going after pitches? And it, it, it's measured in sort of swing frequency above expected. 
So like, oh, on this particular pitch, we would expect a guy to swing 10% of the time. Dela Cruz swings at it. That adds, you know, some swing aggression. Oh, we would have expected 100% of the time guys to swing at this. He didn't. That takes away from swing aggression. And he started his first, he saw about 1,800 pitches last year. Through the first 900 to 1,000, but basically half of it, he was very consistently 75th percentile or above. So he was a super aggressive free swinger. And then it dropped. And by the end of the season, his last couple hundred pitches, he was down below the 10th percentile. Now, that might be an overcorrection. But with a young player like Ellie De La Cruz, I think you just want a correction, right? He was swinging too aggressively. Now he might be a little too passive. But like, if he can go from being way too aggressive to way too passive, he can find that middle ground. At least you, you would hope he can. Uh, the other chart he put out was his decision value. So this is less, this isn't just did he swing, did he not swing? This is, you know, was the decision to swing adding or detracting value? And again, through about, in this case, through about 1,100 pitches, he was way, way below league average. Like this chart, you know, shows what I believe is about the 10th percentile. It might even be lower than the 10th percentile. I can't, no, it's about the 10th percentile is this is measured in runs added per 100 pitches. The 10th percentile is around 0.76. For context, 1.74-ish is about the 90th percentile. So you're looking at a a range of 0.75 to 1.75 for most hitters. He was down around 0.25. Really bad, way off the bottom of the chart for most of last year. And then the second half of his season... It starts to creep up, and by the time he gets to his last three to four hundred pitches, he's basically league average in his swing decisions. So I do think there's some really positive signs there. I will say from an arbitration perspective, my general philosophy, and I'm not sure this necessarily applies to Dela Cruz, is he may be a bad example of this. But my general philosophy is I don't want to give it to guys based on potential. I want to give that arbitration based on what I know or like what I, what I am highly confident they are going to do, because what I don't want to do is put a bunch of money on Ella Dela Cruz now, thinking like, yeah, this guy could break out and become one of the best players in baseball, and have him settle in as a guy who just like never solves the strikeout rate, maybe runs a little less, the power doesn't develop the way we thought, and is more of like a solid fantasy shortstop instead of a great fantasy shortstop. And then all of a sudden you put this arbitration on him and maybe next year he becomes an easier cut or, you know, at least not, not as clearly, not, it's not as clear that you've eaten up value from him. Whereas if I don't put any money on Dela Cruz this year and he does go and have that breakout that we all think he might have, I can just hit him with arbitration next year and probably the year after. And yeah, maybe it delays him getting to his full salary by a season, but it doesn't actually have like a huge long-term impact. Whereas I, I, to me, I, I would rather delay Dela Cruz getting to full salary by a season than overshoot now and have him turn into an easy cut for a team next year, which I think could happen. Yeah, no that that makes total sense. Um, the other the other names for me on on Carlos's team were really all pitchers, and so for me, it's I, I'd rather I'd rather give the dollars to hitters, even if it's more potential based as opposed to proven studs like George Kirby. Some of those other names, I mean, you mentioned Boz. I don't know if he's been hitting arbitration yet, but Taj Bradley and Justin Steele. Steele's so cheap and was so good last year. Those dollars will probably stick. I just feel like pitchers, this can be a tricky game with pitchers. 
Yeah, I think like in general, I I don't I preferred arb to hitters versus pitchers. I did some research last year. I, there's an article in Fangraphs you can look up that showed that actually like arbitration does stick on pitchers just fine. But I think part of that is that people are more cautious about who they give money to on the pitching side. And I think that's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And you're right. I mean, looking at his other choices, if you're, you know, especially like steel to me is an obvious target and should get hit with something. Nolan Jones is no more proven than Dela Cruz. Right. I mean, you have the same the same basic issue with him that you do, although I think he was a little actually a little better this year. Well, he was much uh, better. Jorge was Soler. Awesome. Yeah. Jorge Soler is obviously a super valuable power source. And I, I think he is more sort of established and proven, but he's also the kind of guy who's up and down and he hits 41 year and then doesn't the next. And you know, who knows? Zach Geloff, certainly not any more proven. I mean, you could, you know, Cattell Marte has been up and down. He probably could get hit with a little bit. Brandon Nimmo has been good, but not great from a fantasy perspective. He probably could get hit with a little bit. I, so, I, yeah, it's this team. There's a lot of really fun young talent here, but there aren't a lot of obvious arbitration targets. There's a lot of guys with sort of question marks. So, just to put a wrap on this league, uh, the other sort of top arbitration recipients in this league are. Corey Seager, who's gone from $27 to $34 so far. Corbin Carroll, who's gone from $27 to $34. Matt Olson on my team has gone from $28 to $35. Ronald Acuna Jr. on Pete's team has gone from $61 to $67. We talked a little bit about bets and how the top salaries are not usually that high in 5 by 5 Justin pointed out to me when he put out these values that you rarely see 50 or even, let alone $60 values on guys in five by five. And, and this year you look at the sort of the top values and keep in mind, these are non-inflated values. So they're a little low for an established league, but the second biggest value, uh, the second highest value, I should say is Spencer Strider, 45.5. Tatis is set as third at 44.8. Bobby Witt Jr. 44.2. I skipped over first because you can hear those prices all sort of mid 40s. There's only about five or six guys in the 40s, and it's a bunch of guys in the 30s. Ronald Acuna Jr. is the highest value on the surplus calculator in five by five at $73.7. That is a, he's just in a stratosphere all to himself. So, yeah, he's going to get it. So, I've got a bargain here. He's still a bargain, even at 67. (laughs) Um, Tatis, by the way, has been pushed from 48 to 53. And, don't know if I'm keeping him at 53. I, I mean, I don't have to make that decision. He's not my choice. But uh, for for Tim Kanak, fantasy ace ball, I think it's sort of borderline. Um, Pablo Lopez got pushed from five to sixteen, and I, I'm going to have some have some thoughts on that. But we might talk about that later. Uh, and then Tanner Bybee is the next guy on this list. He was two dollars. He's now going to be, uh, or sorry, he was four dollars. He's now going to be nine dollars. A, a challenge with pitchers, but Bobby's Bobby's going to be really good, I think. So, all right, let's jump. Actually, let's take a quick break. Let's do that first. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back from our break, we will take a look at another league. All right, welcome back. We're going through arbitration in our leagues, and we're now going to look at the Keeper Cut Listener League, League thirteen seventy two. We'll do the same thing we did. We'll look at sort of the top names on here and, and discuss, you know. Does it make sense? Is there anyone you're worried about? Anyone you disagree with? Pete, on this one, I think 
the name I want to start with is is a guy that I know you're a fan of. You know I'm a fan of. We've talked about him on the show. But is it too early to be pushing Tristan Cassis? This is in a four by four league, by the way. Is it too early to be pushing Tristan Cassis from eleven dollars to eighteen dollars? Yeah. Um, so I I actually don't think so. I'd I'd gladly pay eighteen for him at auction. So I can tell you that this this manager would not get him back at auction if he went there. I I'm looking I'm, I'm looking at the roster now because Cassis was also one of the top names in the last uh, league we looked at as well. He was he's I have yeah. him I had him for seven dollars. Now he cost me twelve, which isn't as much as this. But looking at some of the other names like Devers at forty four dollars, that might be a cut. Vlad at $58 is to me is definitely a cut. Um, and going through this roster, it's another one of those situations where it's like, okay, maybe I'd consider putting a dollar on Noel V. Marte, although he's already at three. Um, you know, the pitching is is nothing to write home about. Like Framber and Joe Ryan would have been targets, but then the second half happened. <laughs> Can't ignore that. So really, I think this just boils down to like Cassis is so far and away the obvious guy to tap for arbitration on this team that enough ro- enough managers probably just like, all right, I'll put a dollar on Cassis, move on to the next team. And and so here we are with a really expensive Tristan Cassis. Yeah, and if you look at that team overall, there have been 10 teams have allocated arbitration so far. That team has been hit with $15 so far, uh, which means almost everyone's only giving them $1. They're not, right. they're not getting a ton of money put on them. And, and so it could just be that. It's just like, oh, I guess I got to go somewhere. It might as well be Cassis. Um, they've also I surprisingly had... did not put it on Cassis. I'm curious who yeah. I put it on. Uh, Edrod. Okay, Eduardo Rodriguez is interesting, but that was not who I put it on. Uh, where is it? Oh, so there. Okay, the, the guys I put that a, I put a dollar on arbitration. Framber. Oh, you did on Framber. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He he's gotten a dollar. Kyle Schwarber's gotten two dollars. Edrod's gotten three. Joe Ryan has gotten one and Noel V has gotten one. I have not done my arbitration. I'm looking at this team right now and I'm, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of in the same, like exactly the thing you were saying of like, well, where do I put this dollar? Right. I'm looking at some names that haven't been hit yet. And like, uh, there's a, a, I think a $5 uh, Lamont Wade Jr. And a $5 Jack Sawinski. Yeah, there's a four dollar Will Benson, but I'm not sure Benson in this format is that exciting. I think I'm probably I'm, I'm actually I'm going to put a dollar on Sawinski right now because I think that's where my my dollar is going to go. But yeah, it's Cassis might be where I should be going, and I may go back and do that at some point because I don't know. Not His sure skills just do. seem so safe, and he's just. He just did what we thought he would do in the second half, and that was be one of the, by WRC plus, one of the five best hitters in the American League or something. So I, that's the safe place to put your dollars. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to do. So Cassis, I, that that it does explain why Cassis is getting hit there. Any other names from the top, you know, 10, 12, whatever it is, names in this list that, that jump out at you in this league? At the top, no. There's definitely names at the bottom. Let me relook at this top. Um, I mean, Jackson Holiday getting hit with six. But I think we all assume he's he's going to be called up. If not to start the season, then super early on. And the way prospects have been hitting lately, I I guess I understand the six dollars. It still feels like 
like quite a bit. Um, otherwise, no, this all makes sense. Evan Carter, that sucks for you. Like that's that's more than I would have expected. That that darn last month of baseball that'll get you an arbitration, man. Yeah, I mean, the last time we recorded, it would have been surprising to see Carter get hit like this, and then he just continued to plow through the playoffs, and it's like, yeah. well, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> Royce Lewis, same thing. My two top recipients right now. So my team has received $24 from the 10 teams that have allocated so far. Um, there's actually only one team left to allocate to me because – I'm one of the teams that hasn't yet, and I'm not going to give myself any dollars. Uh, but the two top guys on my team, that's just the two. The three top guys on my team to receive money are $5 to Royce Lewis, $5 to Evan Carter, and $3 to Wyatt Langford. Um, and that's a lot of still risky youth to be, you know, those guys were... $5 for Lewis, $3 for Carter, $6 for Langford before arbitration. And now they're 10, 8, and 9. It's just a, it's a pretty big shift. And so be interesting. I have some interesting choices this offseason in terms of like how aggressively I want to keep those guys versus maybe shopping some of them or something like that. But so we'll, we may talk about that either later this episode or in another episode. Holiday, I think, is worth talking about because, like I said, I, I hate doing arbitration on potential and does holiday look like he's going to be a star yes is there anything in his profile that makes me think like oh this guy is going to bust i can't believe we're doing this like not really um and, and i think i do feel like we've seen recently and, and maybe this is maybe i'm just sort of you know biased by the things that come to mind for me but the kids of mlb players seem to adjust pretty well and I, and I just wonder how much of that is like for a Bo Bichette, a Vlad Guerrero Jr., um, Fernando Tatis, uh, and now for a guy like Holiday, like they were around MLB clubhouses as kids, right? And like the stars just aren't as bright in their eyes as they might be for someone else. Like, Makes sense. Right? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's any truth to that. I don't know if there's a pattern to that. It's like... But I do look at Holiday and I think like, yeah, he's probably going to be fine. He's got 91 AAA plate appearances, 164 in AA. He's basically ready. Uh, if you want to, you know, you want to have some concern about him, it'd be that the ISO has really come down over the last, like, you know, he started last year in A ball and in a brief stint there had a 264 ISO. In high A, it was down to 174. In AA, it was down to 169. In AAA, it was down to 133. That's, you know, you're talking about a guy who, I don't know, like his steamer projection is for nine home runs and 489 plate appearances. And, you know, he hit across, like across the minors last year in what looks like, what, about 500 plate appearances, a little more than 500 plate appearances. He hit 12 home runs. So... In a in a four by four league, which this is, it's it's a rough like that's a rough profile if that's what he turns out to be, and so this is my concern with him is I think he's going to draw walks, I think he'll avoid strikeouts, I think he's going to get on base, I don't know that he's going to hit for a whole lot of power, and 
I, I believe that there is real, I mean, like, you know, you look at his scout scores and all the scouts are like, yeah, the power's come. We don't know when it's coming and scouts have been wrong, right? So I, I'm a, I'm hesitant to put money on holiday because there is a, there is a very positive outcome for him where he is, I don't even know who to compare him to, a, a less powerful Brandon Nimmo. Right. I mean, if, so if, if he's, a, but I'm just saying, like, if he, you know, like I said, Steamer is looking at it in 489 plate appearances, nine home runs. If, as I said, I, I want to be very clear here. I am not trying to say that I think Jackson Holiday is going to be a less powerful Brandon Nimmo, but that's sort of what he projects at, at based on his performance to date. I understand that he is projectable beyond that because of, his swing and his talent and all that. I get all that. Uh, but for, again, from an arbitration perspective, I tend to be kind of risk averse and I don't want to push him to like 12, $15 or something like that when we don't know what he's going to do yet. And, and my point with that Brandon Nimmo comp is like, if he turns into a less powerful Brandon Nimmo, I kind of think the Orioles will be happy with that, right? That's a high on base, good defender up the middle, who adds to your team across the board. Like, I mean, Nimmo, Nimmo is a good player, right? I, that is that is not an insult to call someone a less powerful brand Nimmo. But from a fantasy perspective, especially in 4x4, four four, that's a little concerning. That's not what you're looking for. And it's not what we're hoping for. And that's where it's just like, that again, like that's a good outcome. The bad outcome is he can't handle major league pitching and he's terrible. Right, that is also a possibility, and so right now I'm just not quite ready to put money on a guy like Holiday because if he does develop that pop, if he goes off this year and is like, okay, it turns out he's going to hit 30 home runs and get on base and all that, like, and he's going to be a star, you'll hit him with arbitration next year. And so I, I'm just for now, I'm staying away from him. I, I, I don't think. This may be another case where there's not a lot of other options on this team. Um, I, you know, a $9 Jesus Lazardo probably deserves some arbitration. $3 Marcelo Zunas. $7 CJ Abrams. Like, there aren't, but there aren't a ton of other choices. And there's nobody who like jumps off the page at you. Like a $10 Anthony Santander probably deserves arbitration. But like, okay. $5 Merrill Kelly. I, yeah, he probably deserves some. But like... I'm not, not sure how lot. excited I am about that. $3 Tommy fam. And CJ Abrams a uh, lot less valuable in this format for yeah. now. Anyway, right. I still think the sky's the limit, but right now yeah. it's not that valuable in this. Right. But he that's, hurt, you know, and then I'd say so. What? I'd say he actually kind of hurts you in this, this format. They could. On base is pretty bad, right? Yeah. And so is the slug. Yeah. So, yeah, and then there's like I don't know. So maybe there aren't maybe there just aren't a lot of other good options here, but I I'm really hesitant to go after a guy like Holiday this early in his career. Yeah, the I other think, top I think it's one of those oh. it, it's similar to what you said before, where it's like, all right, well, at two dollars where he was at, maybe I feel comfortable doing that. But now that he's all the way up to what is he up to now? Eight. Eight. Yeah, yeah. That, that I don't feel comfortable anymore. And I think it's it's tempting to be like, well, he's not a righty, so the park's not gonna hurt him. Even though it's still a very good power park for lefties, the park factor for left-handed batters is still below average. So it the even though he like yes, it's good he's not a righty going to Camden, it's still not great that that's his home park. Yeah. So 
the other thing, and I mentioned before on my team that, you know, Royce Lewis, Evan Carter, Wyatt Langford are the guys sort of being hit hardest. I'm a little surprised by that. And I actually think I've got some other targets and I, you know, the risk of this is our listener league. So presumably all the people who I talk to right now could, could affect this, but like, I'm surprised there hasn't been more put on Kyle Bradish who I have for $5 and he's only received, uh, where is he? He hasn't received a dollar yet. Zero dollars to Kyle Bradish. We can change that chat if you want. <laughs> I'm not looking for it to change, but um, I've got a who are the other? There were a couple others that I was like Josh Naylor at six dollars, Lars Newtbar at nine dollars, and those guys have Naylor's received one dollar, pushing him to seven. Newtbar has not received an allocation beyond his nine, so I. To me, there are guys on my roster who are a little bit more proven, and so I'm sort of surprised they haven't been hit harder. I mean, like I mentioned, Lewis Carter and Langford. The other guys on my team who have been hit are Riley Green, who at least is you know a little bit more of a track record in the majors than some of these other guys, but not much. Logan O'Hoppy, who was great to start the season, but not as good when he came back from injury, and we'll have to see. You know, I'm still a big fan, but Christian Encarnacion Strand. Kerry Carpenter, who's probably deserves even more than he's getting. Logan Webb, $26, got pushed $1.27, and then that $1 on Naylor and $1 on Brian Wu. Um, I don't know. I, I, I have been watching this and sort of like, not confused, but like, all right, I'm getting really hit hard on my sort of less proven, less established guys, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to make for some interesting conversations conversations internal monologues <laughs> as i figure out what i want to do with this team this offseason so the other top recipients in this league that we haven't talked about yet just to throw them out there uh spencer strider has received 13 dollars, pushing him up to 37 corbin carroll that name's going to come up a lot he's received nine dollars pushed to 22 gunner henderson seven dollars pushing him to 17 Corey Seager, $6, pushes him to 42 Tyler Glass, now $6, pushing him to 19 Bobby Witt Jr., $6, pushing him to 29 uh, Garrett Cole, $6, pushing him to 40 So those are sort of the, the top names in that league. And yeah, I think all of those make sense. I, uh, you know, this is probably a good as good a time as any for me to just point out that, like, I... Did not expect Bobby Witt Jr. to take as big a step forward this year as he did. He cut down on the strikeouts. He increased the walks. The ISO went way up. Like everything moved the right direction for him. And it was a a very positive change for him. Um, I, I'd been, you know, my focus on him last year was mostly that I didn't think he was a first round pick because I thought he was risky and his upside just was, yeah, okay, he'll be valuable as a first round pick. Um, the teams that took him in the first round, I think, got that upside and and should feel good about that. He's a, a pretty clear early to middle first round pick this year, I think, um, based on what he did last year. I still stand by the fact that he was going too early last year because I think the fact that he hit his 90th percentile outcome doesn't mean that we should have been drafting him for it. But, uh, you know, obviously I was I was wrong on him and it makes sense that he's getting some arbitration now. Um, although it is worth noting, he is not sort of a big boost in on-base percentage. He is very strong in slugging, 
Uh, he hits you plenty of home runs. He scores plenty of runs, but he's not a a huge OBP help. He's a little bit of a drag there. So, all right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we'll look at the third league that we share. All right, welcome back. The other league that we share is the Fangraph Staff League. This one, uh, there are four teams that have not provided any arbitration yet. Again, my team is one of those. Uh, this league annoys me because eight teams have given ARB and my team has received $24, which is the most it can receive. That's $3 per team. So, uh, yeah, I don't want my team to get that much money, but here we are. Um, the... Although, actually, there's a team that has $26. There's something I'm missing here. Because there are 12 teams in the league. Four teams haven't allocated, right? So that means eight teams have allocated. And the most you can do per team is $3, right? Yeah, but some teams may have not finished. Like they, it, would, it would still be red, but they could have they been like, all right, oh. I know I'm going to put dollars on the speedsters, but I'm not going to put... I haven't finished arbitration yet. Yeah, that's right. The the Platano Power team, it looks like, has actually allocated their money, but not uh not correctly or something. I'll have to see what's up with that. This is a good another good message. If you're a commissioner of a league, go look at what's going on because this is a situation where the Platano Power team it says they've allocated all $25, but they still show up in red, which means something is wrong in their allocations and they need to go check that out. So yeah, if you're a commissioner, make sure you go in and look at that. But this league, Pete, any names near the top of the allocation recipients in this league that you're like, wow, I'm sort of surprised by that. Um, not Really, Kodai Sengo is just so cheap that I guess it makes sense that he received. Well, he was twelve dollars. He had a great season. I, I, I'm not surprised by Kodai Senga. He just when I was going through these names, it was like stud, 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 and then Kodai Senga. Um, Four dollars to Otani. I guess you know, and Ot knew where it, it's maybe the best use of Otani. Um, you can use him at utility and starting pitcher, I believe, at the same time. Like that, I guess makes sense. But with the Tommy John surgery, seeing him get four dollars despite already being a sixty dollar player, felt like a lot. But overall, no, I'd say this. I'd say the top at least really adds up to me. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the the somewhat surprising things, if I'm, you know, I think Pablo Lopez being pushed all the way to twenty two, sort of surprised me. You don't um, sound high on Lopez heading into next year. Uh, it's not that I'm not high on him. I mean, I think I've always, like I have Pablo Lopez on a ton of rosters. He is all over my teams. Um, I I am a fan of Pablo Lopez, but he like pull up some numbers here before I just babble. Uh, he had where is this not working here we go so he started the year um with a really really strong march and april had a rough may and then was sort of and then was great again in june and then was sort of good most of the rest of the season he wasn't great 
Uh, he wasn't bad, but like second half of the season, his his strikeout percentage went from 30.5 in the first half down to 27.6. His FIP jumped from 3.15 to 3.58. And none of that is like, you know, he gave up his home run per nine went from 0.97 to 1.30. Like none of that is terrible. It's He's still pitching well, but I get, I sort of feel like he's being arbed like his stellar start was what he did this year as opposed to being more I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. He he was good, not great, I guess I would say. And that's always been the story with him, by the way. This is not yeah. anything new. Pablo Lopez is the king of hot start, cold finish. Not but this year it was still so good that like it really yeah. never looked that bad. No, it didn't. And and I honestly like his projections are still really strong. Um those the surplus calculator values that I mentioned before do have him at $29. So maybe I'm just I, I think maybe as a as someone who had him under my rosters, it felt so shaky in the second half at times that I, I maybe I'm over indexing on on what the drop off looked like. You know, his last three starts. And again, it's only three starts, but his last three starts, 15 and a third inning, 11 earned runs. He did strike out 21 in that time, which is nuts. But he also gave up three home runs, which in, you know, this is a Fangraphs points league, home runs matter. Like when I needed him most, (laughs) he was not as great as I had hoped. But even then, that's a 6.46 ERA. It was a 3.45 FIP. He really had one, like by FIP, only one really bad start in there. He had another sort of rough stretch in, calling it a rough stretch is maybe a, a stretch. He had a bad start in late August against Texas, where he gave up five runs in five innings, including three home runs. And then he went out in his next start against Cleveland and struck out five and walked three in six innings. And then he walked, struck out three and walked three again against Cleveland in six innings. And so he had this sort of like this weird end of the season where, I don't know, like his last, from, from August 24th through the end of the season, his FIP was four. He gave up a ton of home runs, seven home runs in 40 innings. His strikeouts were were still solid. His walks were still solid, but it was just a lot of home runs and a lot of BAPIP. But it still adds up to a four ERA or FIP from August 24th to the end of the season. I'm probably, you know, maybe this is sort of the, uh, we talked about how like maybe I was just off on CJ Abrams and like didn't really realize just how good he was. I think that might be sort of what happened here with me is like, I got a little focused on man. He really didn't finish strong the way I wanted him to, but it's really not that bad a finish. And the rest of the season was so good. Yeah. For what so it's worth, he is the uh, 10th pitcher, 10th starting pitcher, not counting Otani. Cause he won't make a start this year going off the boards in NFBC draft. So he's a top 10 starting pitcher going into 2024. I don't know how I feel about that to be honest with you, but I do understand him getting tagged in arbitration. Yeah. What about George Kirby? So George Kirby, uh, he's on my team. And so another guy, I'm, I'm a big Kirby fan. Um, my, like my whole family will tell you that when they announced that Kirby was debuting, uh, last year, it was on mother's day. And I had talked so much about 
how excited I was about Kirby's debut that my wife made me change our Mother's Day plans because she was like, I know you want to go see this guy's debut and the kids will have fun at the game and we'll like, it's an afternoon game. It'll be a nice day. Um, and so we, we ended up doing that. Like I'm, I am, I am a George Kirby fan. I'm, but he's been pushed all the way to $22. I'm a little surprised he got pushed that high. Um, you know, the, the first half of the season in particular, the strikeouts weren't really that impressive. He does not walk anybody, which allows him to be very effective despite, you know, he struck out 8.12 per nine. That's a 22.7% strikeout rate. That's fine. That's not bad, right? This isn't, we're not talking Kyle Hendricks or something here, um, but it's not league winning either. He just doesn't walk anybody. I'm a little surprised people see him as an over twenty dollar pitcher. I think, I think he's probably a, I think he probably is a twenty dollar pitcher, but not much more. Um, and so maybe this is again, you know, for me, if I think a guy is a twenty dollar pitcher, I don't want to push him to twenty two in arbitration. I want to leave him at like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, where I know the other team's going to keep him, and the, those dollars might stick for a couple years. And if the strikeouts take a leap this year, then I'll hit him with our next year. But I was just a little surprised to see him push quite that high. Yeah, uh, I think it's a few things. I'd still pay over 20 for Kirby for sure. Right now, he's the eighth pitcher, eighth starting pitcher, not counting Otani off the boards in NFBC drafts. Um, number one, he made it to 190 innings pitched, which like guys just don't do anymore. I'm not trying to sound yeah. like an old timer or something, but like that's a that's notable. And that is because he doesn't walk players, which makes the profile pretty safe. All the ERA estimators back up what he did. And even though the strikeouts are still not good and they're for the eighth starting pitcher off the board, I'd go as far as to say the strikeout numbers are bad. The swinging strike rate, the CSW, they both trended in the right direction last year. And with him being so young on such a good team, which doesn't matter so much here, but pitching in a good ballpark to pitch in. I'm fine with Kirby Kirby getting hit a little hard in arbitration. I think it makes sense. And I, I'd still ease. I wouldn't think twice about it. I'd, I'd keep him for next season. Yeah. And I think we will. I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to cut him at 22. Um, I, the other pitcher on here that maybe it's not a huge surprise, but Kyle Bradish, who we already talked about in the other league, because I was surprised he had gotten nothing has gotten $6 in this league, pushing him wow. from $3 to $9. Um, it's only surprising to me. Because in the other two leagues we talked about, he has received $1 combined. So now they, these are three different formats. It's a five by five, a four by four, and, and then this is points. He doesn't strike me as a guy whose value is super drastically different by format, though. He seems like he's, you know, probably should be valued around $10, $11, $8, somewhere in that range. And it's just interesting to me that he's getting so much arbitration here after getting so little in the other league. Yeah, I I, I don't know what the excuse. I don't think it's necessarily format. Um, I think it could be just one of those cases where he that he's more likely to get hit on this particular roster than in those other two leagues. He's kind of almost like it feels like a poor man's. George Kirby, less proven, less hype, not a lot of strikeouts, but pretty safe for innings. Um, I Again, I think so much about arbitration, not to continue to beat this dead horse, it does come down to the fact that, A, you do have to put at least $1 on every team. 
So that will inflate certain players and some, t- and you can only put up to $3. And so those teams that Bradish might be on just might have such more interesting options. I think if I remember correctly, one of them was Ellie De La Cruz earlier that, that he kind of dodges it. It's this, this is such a, it's so circumstantial for arbitration. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And that's probably what's going on here. That team has a total of $10 allocated to it. Um, so it's not a team that is being hit particularly hard. Um, like I said, eight teams have done arbitration so far in this league. That team is one of them. So only seven teams have, have given arbitration to that team. But that that means that seven teams have given him a total of $10. That's, that's not very much. Those $10, it's $6 on Bradish. $2 on a $10 Stephen Kwan, who's been pushed to $12. $1 on Brian Wu, who's been pushed from $11 to $12, which is wow, that's uh, a cut. not a dollar I would be putting. Uh, $1 on Jimer Candelario, pushing him from 7 to 8 And if I look at other targets on that team, boy, I don't know. They have a, a $7 Jake Fraley, $5 Kiebert Ruiz. Although, again, in... This is another one where format sort of plays some weird things that like if you look at if you create values for points leagues, you get the values you get for catcher sort of no matter what structure of points league you have. But I almost always carry two or three catchers in a season long points league. This league is head to head and I rarely carry a second catcher. I'm usually pretty content. So and and the reason for that, for for anyone who's who's wondering, um, in season-long points leagues, getting to 162 games played at every position, including catcher, is really important. You have two catcher spots that you can use. So, like, if you have like Ruiz, like this team does, and another catcher, like let's say you know Logan O'Hoppy, and they both play or both don't play on the same day, you can use them both on the same day when they're both in the lineup to get those games in. In head-to-head, because there are not a game, there's not a games played cap. There is only one catcher spot. So you can fill up that catcher spot every day, but you can't start. If you have two catchers who both start the same day, you have to pick one of them. And my experience has been that I get diminishing returns on having a second catcher in that format because far too often they like both have a Wednesday or a Sunday day game after night game, and they both sit the same day. And so now I've used my starting catcher, you know, five of the six days that week. And I've maybe gotten one game, you know, I've gotten five games out of my starter and maybe I get one out of the backup, but maybe I get zero and it just isn't worth it. Unless you have two catchers that are pretty equal and you're platooning them and you're playing matchups or whatever, like fine. But I don't often carry two catchers there, which means that catchers are actually less valuable in head to head. Assuming at least, you know, if I'm the only team that does that, then fine. But I think I'm not. And so... You know, Ruiz at $5, I really like, but like, I don't feel the need to push him a ton. He shows up at $11 in the surplus calculator. And like I said, and in, in, I think he's probably a little less than that. So like, yeah, it may just be that this team just doesn't have great options. And and as I look at their roster, I think Bradish is probably the best target. So yeah, I think that's, that's I wonder probably how much of it your too. How how much of it too? I wonder becomes like the kind of like the snowball effect as well, where like you're the fifth guy to do arbitration, and even though you're doing it for yourself, you see that four other managers have already put money on Kyle Bradish, and you're like, oh, I guess 
I guess that makes the most sense. That's the target. I'll put my one dollar on him and move on to the next team. I mean, there's no way to ever actually know that, but yeah. I, I think that does. I know that impacts my decision making a little bit. Sometimes in the other direction, like all right, if this guy's already been hit, I'm going to hit somebody else. But if there's really not that many options, like the ones that you just list, I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I'm overthinking this. Bradish is clearly the target. Hitting him with a dollar, moving on. Yeah, and I think there's also, you know, I talked before about how like one of my favorite things about arbitration is looking at a team and being like, why did this guy get three dollars? Like, what's going on? And being like, oh, that guy, like, like we talked about with Abrams, right? Like, oh, actually, he got six dollars because he's had a really good season that I sort of missed. And I think Bradish very easily could be one of these sort of under the radar guys. I remember in the Auto News Slack during the the postseason, Baltimore had a game that Bradish was starting. And somebody in the auto new Slack, and I don't remember who it was, and if I did, I wouldn't want to call him out anyways because it was a totally reasonable thing, was like, we were talking about the Orioles need pitching. And it is it is true that the Orioles need pitching, but it was like, I mean, but he was like, they've got Kyle Bradish starting this game. And it was like, yeah, Kyle Bradish is kind of an ace who's probably going to get Cy Young votes. like, Which I think he and I think people, well, we don't know yet, but yes. We don't know yet. But I suspect he will. Yeah, he will. And I think people were like, like there were a handful of people. It wasn't just the person who made the initial comment who were like, oh. And so it is also possible that what's happening with Bradish here is like he didn't get dollars in the other two leagues we looked at. And so nobody really noticed him. And so he's continued to fly under the radar. And in this league, the first couple teams to put a dollar on looked at that team and were like, yeah, I'll give a dollar to Bradish. And then the third team that showed up was like $2 to Kyle Bradish. Oh, hey, he was really good this year. I'll put a dollar on him. Um, and so I, I, there is possibly a, a sort of a pile on effect there. So I think this, this league, like you said, there aren't a lot of other names at the top that were, that were super unique or interesting. I think if I look at the, the other top guys here, uh, Corbin Carroll has received $14, pushing him to 30. That's a lot of arbitration on that guy, Pete. Sorry, but he deserves I, every, I had to go penny. back. <laughs> I had to go back and look to see like, how did I end up with Corbin Carroll? I traded a $30 U Darvish. And I'm already forgetting the second name. And I got an $8 Corbin Carroll. So that trade has worked out great. But now he's his value is quickly, quickly getting up there. So this was yeah, June of, of 2022. So you know, a year and a half ago. $30 Darvish, $14 Trey Mancini for a $4 Bayo and an $8 Carroll. Yeah, yeah you, should, was, you should be real happy with that one. That one. I have made that one feels good plenty of trades in that league in the other direction so it's about time yeah. one worked in my favor but yeah carol one of one of six players who was over ten dollars in arbitration julio rodriguez got twelve dollars pushing him to 32 ronald acuna jr eleven dollars pushing him to 56 bobby witt jr eleven dollars pushing him to 26 and austin riley ten dollars pushing him to 38 then just below that is is pablo lopez we talked about getting nine dollars pushing him to 22 Corey seager seven pushing him to 30 pushing him to 44 Adelis Garcia got $7, pushing him to 15 George Kirby got the $7 we talked about. Kodai Senga, $6. That got him to up to 18 total. And then Kyle Bradish was $6, pushing him to $9 total. Um, not a ton of huge surprises. I think this league, you know, I've talked about the fact that I don't love putting arbitration on pitchers. I also don't like receiving arbitration on pitchers. Yeah. It's easier with the hitters. It's like, this guy's a $40 hitter. Now he's been pushed to 25 So what? Um, but like we already talked about Kirby getting pushed from 15 to 22 My second biggest recipient of ARB in this league was a $5 Tarek Scooball, who's now at $10. Similar boat to Kirby. I don't think that makes him a cut, but it's like, 
And for some reason, that like hurts more than the $4 that pushed Matt Olson from 30 to 34 or the $3 sure. that pushed Nolan Jones from five to eight. So what are you going to do? But anyways, I think that's about it for today. Are there any other sort of ARB comments you want to make? Uh, well, I it was odd. I got hit with $2 on a $2 Marcelo Meyer in the um, the listener league. And like, whoever that was, thank you for making my decision a lot easier. Like, look, I, I, I love Marcelo Meyer. I think he's going to be great. He's drawn a lot of comps to, to Corey Seager. But he, he was the youngest Red Sox player to reach double a since 2009 i don't know who the player was so like it totally makes sense that he wasn't good but he wasn't good and then his season ended in early in the first week of august with a shoulder injury so i i have no interest in keeping a four dollar marcelo meyer hopefully they don't listen to this and change that before arb ends the next day um but that it's i love the player he might go for more at auction but i can't dedicate that much of my roster to a uh a prospect who when we most recently saw him was hurt and did not perform well. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think that that goes back to this. Like, I just don't want to allocate to prospects. It's just, yeah. there's it, it, they either become easy cuts or they bust and become easy cuts in you know June or July. Anyways, like there's just too many paths to those dollars disappearing. And, and my goal, I guess it's sort of my, my final word on arbitration. My goal with arbitration is I want teams making difficult decisions about who they're going to keep or cut because of my arbitration in like three years, right? I want those dollars sticking with them. And the reason is if you think about it, like I get to give a team up to $3 a year. I want that team to three years from now, be looking at their roster and be like, there's $9 of arbitration that Chad put on me, <laughs> right? There, my, my salary, like, cause now you're talking about like my arbitration eating up a decent chunk of their cap. Whereas any dollar I put on them that they cut within the next year or so is like, now it's gone and they can spend it on something else. And I haven't really had the impact I wanted. So yeah. Anyways, we're about at time. Uh, really appreciate you all listening. Hope you have a good week and we'll talk to you in, we'll talk to you in two weeks, sort of late November, right around Thanksgiving. So have a good month.